Welcome to Winning Uglier with Brad Gilbert. What up, Buck? We got a French Open started. And you know what gets me so inspired? Sleep overrated. I wake up, I don't even have to set my alarm clock, 2 a.m. I turn on the TV this morning and instantly I got a glance of indoor tennis in Paris. And you know, that that obviously was on my mind, what the court would play like indoors. And we got these cold, damp, dreary conditions that kind of fascinating. Watching clay court tennis, it's the same red brick color, but it's playing completely different because of how cold it is, how damp it is. The ball is bouncing so much lower. Kind of reminded me of indoor tennis like at Basel or a really slow outdoor hard court. So I'm fascinated to kind of watch this type of clay court tennis being played. We're playing with a different ball. It's a slower, heavier ball. And I think we're going to see some different results than we've seen. And obviously the quick turnaround from the hard courts, only one big tournament. And it's such an adjustment that, you know, we're having to see the players make. I think to hear two players, one and Diego Schwartzman tell me how good the courts are for his game. And to hear John Isner say, wow, you know, I got time for my return to hit my forehand. I could still serve for the court. That's the essence and beauty of tennis. When a 5'6 guy says, I love the conditions, and a 6'10 guy. I also think that you're going to see a lot of flat ball hitters on the women's side. Players that take the ball early. That all of a sudden the ball's going to bounce a little lower. That maybe can, you know, get it on you a lot quicker. So I'm expecting some interesting results over this next, you know, 10 days. Yeah, it's a, going to be a very tough tournament, I think, to predict and read. I think we could get a lot of surprises. And we're recording this on a Monday afternoon, so we've already gotten two days of the of the three-day first-round session in the books. But just want to do, um, you know, in line with, you know, the tougher conditions and the, the new ball that they're using. We've got a good quote from Rafa, who says, It's not the right ball to play on the court. And with these conditions, it makes things tougher, no? But I knew before I arrived here, no problem at all. Just accept the challenge. I kind of interpret that as like, you know, maybe he was a little annoyed with things, but that's it. I'm done, you know, with worrying about the balls, the court. Because he was doing a little bit of a decent amount of, I would call, whinging. And now it's time to focus on what I need to do to make my game better. And and watching today, Rafa, the first thing that I noticed, uh, how do you say the guy's name he was playing? Gerasimov? <laughs> Gerasimov. Gerasimov. He's about 6'5", and a lot of Rafa's forehands today would have been jumping up at the guy's neck, and a lot of them were landing at waist level. I think plenty of Rafa shots today were la- were coming about two feet lower because they weren't getting that bite off the court. So now that he's got one match under his belt, he's going to probably start to figure out, okay, that maybe I can't spin my forehand as much. I got to have to maybe play a little bit closer. I'm going to have to play a little bit faster with it, you know, make some adjustments. That's what a lot of club players that we got to do 
at home when all of a sudden it's cooler, it's damper conditions, we got to be ready physically, mentally. And so often you can lose the conditions. You worry about what they're going to be and you don't focus on what you need to do to make them your strength. You know, having the right mindset going into it is so big when it comes to conditions. And I I just think there's so many takeaways that people can have, especially as we get into colder weather, fall weather, and and seeing how what these players do to adapt their games. Because, you know, there's certainly a lot of things you got to think about. And, you know, we want to get into what are some things you can do to combat these colder conditions. Well, first and foremost, you got to be ready mentally and physically. And whether or not okay, you're playing a UTR match, a USTA match. Maybe I need to get on the treadmill or the bike a little longer. I got to have compression. I got to have a a warm long sleeve shirt. And so when I hit the court, I'm ready to go because it's all of a sudden, I might not warm up as fast. Listen, I better have some looser rackets if it's going to be cool and dead. If all of a sudden my match gets switched to indoors, I better have some tighter rackets. All the little prep. It's the same thing for these pros. You got to be mentally prepared that if I'm on an outside court, I might be, you know, starting and stopping, you know. So I got that adjustment that I might have to be mentally prepared that like, listen, I, I might not be able to play through my match. And I got to be willing to make adjustments in my game because this is not the normal red brick. It looks the same, but it's playing nothing like that we've seen for the first few days, especially with these heavier balls. And some players will relish it. And I think that part of that quote from Rafa is, is this is where you got to do a little mind tricks. You got to talk yourself into I love these conditions and I'm willing to make adjustments. I saw a guy in center hit through the court, hit Gofan off the court. So it will reward some of the guys playing aggressive. Maybe we might see a little cat and mouse with some drop shots and little angles. Maybe we might even see a little serve and volley. I saw at the, at the business end of a match, I saw Tennis Sangren pull it off. So I think that you might see some different styles not your normal stock play, but I do think it does favor the flatter ball hitters because their ball will go a little lower and maybe go through the court and you can't slide and glide and track balls down as good in these type of conditions. Yeah, maybe it's not going to be that fun for a decent amount of players dealing with these conditions, but uh, I'm looking forward to it, you know, as a fan watching from home, just because I think we are going to have to see players finishing off more points at net maybe some more drop shots and some more cat and mouse because it's going to be a little bit harder to just hit your opponent off the court with conditions playing slower. So, you know, from a, from just a viewing standpoint and a, and a learning from a watching point construction standpoint, I mean, I, I'm actually pretty, pretty excited to, to see what, what's in store. Problem solving. Exactly. It, yeah. It's like, okay, I've played, you know, a couple of practices, a match, you know what? my spin forehand and, and and isn't as effective. Maybe I need to come a foot and a half closer. I can't defend as well. Maybe I need to work my slice because all of a sudden, you know, normally a slice isn't effective. Maybe it will be. My kick serve isn't. So it's trial by error what you can think about doing. And it's all about the mindset that I look forward to this. And it's not that all of a sudden I'm going to have the wrong mindset. 
the one section I was most fascinated with was the Medvedev section. You got Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Shapovalov. And Medvedev today had n- never won a match on clay. He still has it. And I, I do think for some of the counterpunchers, it will be much trickier surface to play on because now all of a sudden it's harder to to play out of the corners. It's harder to not all of a sudden, you know, work the point the way you can because now all of a sudden maybe you're not getting the same length on your shot. So each time I'm sitting down watching a match, I'm kind of thinking like, what am I going to see today? And boy, we've seen some really long five setters already on the men's side. Yeah, I think what's it? In two days, we have four matches that have extended well past six all. The Giustino Mutet match went 18 16. I think it was over six hours today. Had another 14 12. Tennis Sangren just won one against Horkach 11 9. So, a lot of, you love it. A lot, of, a lot of fifth set battles. You know, crazy about the Italian. That was his very first win in a Grand Slam match. Six hours and five minutes. We've had four already. Okay. I'm going to put in the question box. I love the greatness of best of five, but we have a tiebreaker at 12 all at Wimbledon, which we had a tiebreaker in the fifth final last year. We have both at the open, the Aussie. Aussie, I love the 10 point breaker. Nine all. French, you want to be different? Let's play nine all tiebreaker and a 10 point breaker. But after nine all, I think, especially on clay, how physical it is, that's enough. Uncle, let's play the breaker. Yeah, because it, it is just, it gets a little bit unfortunate to see when a match goes so long that it basically derails the guy's chances of going any further after that, you know, you know, just having, you know, used up a little bit too much gas in the tank just to yeah, get that Yeah, and also win. if you happen to play one of those late ones at night, because now we're playing night matches at Paris. We've never played right, night I know, matches. Yes. I didn't even know that they had put in floodlights on the outside courts, because obviously... You know, if they were playing in the spring, they'd be able to play later, but now obviously not in, in the fall. So, you know, all of a sudden to see tons of matches out at eight at nine o'clock, and that might be the case a lot because if we have rain. Indoor 1 a.m. match at the French Open in late September, that's would have been hard to predict. <laughs> you know what? That's 2020. Yeah. Everything that everybody's been through, you got to be able to make an adjustment. And I think that's the most important thing. In these next couple of weeks, you know, you always say, I say the same thing. I always harp about it. It's two tournaments. You know, since we've had such a limited clay court season, you know, a lot of guys just played one tournament. Get through that first week. Figure out what you do well on this surface. You know, try to get to that second week as unscathed as possible. And then you're ready mentally and physically to understand what you need to do with your game into the second week. Yeah, and I think that's a good, you know, for any, for people playing matches at home as well. I mean, you know, especially playing UTR tournaments, things like that. Same mentality that you got to, I, I mean, I would always say break it, you know, one match at a time. But definitely if you can pace yourself out and get the feel for things and, get through, then all of a sudden, you know, things can can open up a bit. I call embrace bad conditions. My best tennis in my career was usually at the worst dump, when everybody be whinging about how bad the conditions are. And then when... You were just talking about how you love all these bubble conditions when everyone else is thrown off. This would be like your, maybe your best chance ever for a slam. Heaven. 
when everything is perfect was bad for me because then everybody would be feeling good and then all of a sudden it would be the equalizer would be gone. So I think that that's the big thing is it is like, okay, it's cold, it's dreary, it's damp, but you know what? Have the looser stick in your bag. Be warmed up. When the match starts, be ready to play. Don't be down 5-1 because you're not mentally or physically ready to play. You know, a lot of people, you know, if you're working or you've been working from home, now what a great opportunity to maybe get to the court a little bit earlier. So you're ready. And that's what everything is about in these circumstances. I mean, I think you're going to see some players on the women's side that maybe the clay isn't their best surface. I, I told you once I saw the draw made, somebody like an Azarenka, who really hasn't liked the clay, played better in Rome, uh, actually beat the Aussie Open uh, winner, Kennan, love and love. You might see her play a lot better because she doesn't slide very well and move very well, but she can dictate, play flat, play through the court. Uh, maybe somebody, a young guy like Sinner, who bombs the ball. So I'm kind of fascinated on that we're going to see, even though it's slow, but it's low, and we're going to see different tactics. And then just to wrap this up, you do a, you know, before every slam, you do a set of predictions with ESPN.com. You went with uh, Joker and Halep to win the tournament, so just wanted to see if, you know, you still feel good about those picks. I did the picks. We did the draw on Thursday, and unforced error by me. I didn't look at the 10-day forecast. Yeah, that's like uh, so off your game for okay, you. Okay, let's start with the women's. Normally, I say 15 or 20 could win. And Halep needs and likes the court to be quicker because I think her counterpunching style, defending and being able to turn defense into offense and her transition works perfectly. She's won two tournaments, Prague and Rome coming in, lots of confidence. But these conditions, probably the first 10 days, aren't good for her game. But this is where Coach Cahill is really going to have to work her mind and really work her focus that like, you know what? I'm going to have to play more inside the court. I'm going to have to play more offense. I got to do things differently. And you have to keep reminding, you know, it's going to be miserable to play against you. Nobody wants to play you in these conditions. You can run everything down. I'm waffling like on my pick of her. I did pick her, but I do think in these conditions, because I thought if it was faster, she is the clear-cut favorite. But I do think it's way more wide open after what I've seen for the first few days. I'm still picking her and rooting her, rooting for her because of my killer connection. But I will not be surprised if uh, we have some serious surprises. On the dark horse side, on the women's, I said, I think we'll see somebody outside the top 75 in the quarters and somebody unseated in the semis. So I wouldn't even be surprised, you know, like look what we saw last year at the French. And I would not be surprised, even though I picked Halep, but I would not be surprised if we get something crazy. On the men's side, I still find it hard to believe that the big three in this tournament is Joker, Rafa, team that somebody could win this tournament outside of them. Because I think the fourth favorite, I think Sitsi Pass, you know, it it, it it drops off a cliff in odds. Yeah, massively, yeah. And I, I do think that if we play indoors, I do think it favors maybe Djokovic more than the other two because of his ability to take the ball a little bit earlier, play a little bit flatter. 
team happens to be on the Rafa side of the draw. So I'll stick with, I, I say that Rafa and Joker are co-favorites. You still got to beat Rafa considering he's won it 12 times. But I, I, I'm leaning at the moment in these conditions towards Joker. And on my dark horse picks, I said, how about an American in the second week? Last year was a disaster for us at, at the tournament. I don't believe we had somebody in the third round. We've already got seven in the second round with a few still playing. And I do think these conditions favor Isner. I kind of got Isner circled in playing Rafa in the round of 16. picking a dark horse, horse guy that's in Rafa's section. Yeah, and you know what? He, I, I believe Rafa's only played a couple of five-setters in his career at the French Open, and one of them is against Isner. Yep. So how about an American making you know a second week? And how about somebody unseated? making a deep run, you know, because we're just not used to that on the men's side. So those, you know, I'm not giving something, I'm saying an American in the second week, somebody unseated making a deep run. Uh, but I do think the the results will be a little more predictable, uh, unpredictable on the women's side. I still have a hard time seeing anybody outside the new big three that are in this tournament winning this tournament. It's Q&A time and got a couple in today. Uh, this first one I really like because maybe I'm slightly biased because the overhead actually happens to be my favorite shot to hit. I really embrace I embrace it where some people don't like it so much. But John S. asks, any advice, suggested drills, rules of thumb, etc., for an intermediate-level recreational player who has mis- always mysteriously struggled with overheads. Sometimes I connect properly, but more often than not, I wind up netting the ball. It's happened enough over the years that every overhead is fraught with anxiety. Great question. Sometimes the overhead can be an adventure. And it sounds like, you know, it can be a little bit of a spacing issue that if you're netting it, you're getting maybe too close to it. You're not getting a little enough extension of the arm. A lot of club players hit the overhead face on. It's crucial that you get side on and you take those little pitter-patter steps. Sometimes you go behind it a couple of steps, then you come forward. But it's absolutely, it's almost like the, the, you know, the throwing the football. You get side on and you get in that trophy position. Or it's like hitting an abbreviated serve. But really crucial is the footwork, and you kind of keep moving. So one great drill I like to do, I do this with a lot of players, it's a little bit of a cardio drill as well. You start, you do six, and you need a feeder if you can. It helps a ton. You start with your racket on the net, you feed a lob, back up, hit the smash, sprint forward, touch the net, back up. So you do six of those. And your whole goal on those is to get side, to get side on, and it's forcing you to move your feet. And usually, the easier overheads are the ones that you don't move your feet. You you, you kind of get a little complacent. You get relaxed, and that's the one. If he says he's netting, you know, if you get too close to it, you can't even powder it anyways. So 
This drill, if you do two sets of maybe six, maybe 45 second recovery, it's good cardio, but also gives you a chance because it's forcing you to move and then forcing you to recover. But I really do find watching a lot of club players on the overhead, like I said, face on, not getting side on, and really not being active with the feet. And then another one too, getting tentative with the swing. Like when you're making contact, you know, you're powering through, you actually got to, you know, give it some, you know, RPMs, but it's all about the footwork and giving a good freaking charge. Yeah. When you say side on, just to give another way to visualize it, I mean, if you're a righty, that means your left shoulder is po- pointing towards your opponent as opposed to being, you know, too square on, you know, just like you would do on your serve. And the one other thing that helps too for the spacing, I think, and for the, the timing, you know, not, not catching the ball too low or too high is using your, your other hand. So for a righty, using your left hand and, you know, pointing up at the ball. Spot Yeah, you always bird. tell me that one. Yeah. yeah, spot the bird. You know, use your finger, your hand to kind of help you, you know, like an outfielder does. You know, mm-hmm. when an outfielder's not running, he doesn't have a left hand, you know, down for the glove. It, it You use it kind of for your balance. But everything is about those quick explosive steps. You also can practice too, Buck, without the racket, and you can practice the quick explosive steps with the racket. You do, you do da 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 you know, where you're just for literally sure, yeah. dancing around a little bit and making that little, because it's usually two or three steps. Usually the trouble for club players on the overhead when there's no steps. I think like kind of how we were talking with uh, Mark Rabo on the last episode and doing this sort of shadow footwork drills, I think just a great thing. It's a great one to practice without the ball, you know, even if you don't have a feeder. But I think even if you do to just, it's, you got to get that, that, that footwork down first. And, you know, with the racket in your hand, you know, practice those little crisscross backpedal steps uh, to get that footwork straight before you even go into the live ball. So the the drill I told you with the six balls with the live feeder, you can also do that with no, no ball, no feeder. You just go through the six. But the whole thing is, is that quick little step. And, you know, it's like a quarterback when he backpedals, he goes back further to stride forward. It's a little bit of the same on an overhead that you go back to come forward. Yeah. One other overhead thing I thought of too is... You see a lot of club players, they'll settle to take backhand overheads when they could be working the feet a little bit more to get around and, and hit a, a normal overhead. Because I, I even had somebody ask me, like, well, you know, what's the best thing to do on a backhand overhead? And I'm like, the best thing to do on a backhand overhead is to not hit it. It's to, <laughs> it's to get around and hit a regular overhead. And, and a lot of club players and junior C pros handle high smashes. Also, a great thing to practice for smashes. I used to do this with with Andre all the time. Overheads on the baseline, bouncing overheads, high overheads. You let them bounce. Back up, take a little space, and work on your bouncing overhead. I, I, like you, was pretty confident in my overhead, and I would always try to take it in the air. But if all of a sudden you're not that confident on a fairly high one, let it bounce, back up, and practice the bouncing overhead because I promise you, if you if you practice it, you'll get some bouncing smashes in the match. This is I like this is a lot of overhead content. I hope we're not overwhelming people, but I, I but, like but talking believe, about but, it. Yeah, but believe it or not, a lot of three fives, even four O's, 
They dread the overhead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, people sometimes even skip practicing and, it altogether. And, and you know what I used to practice a ton when I was 11, 12 years old? The overhead drill on the wall. Mm-hmm, where you bounce it off the wall. How many in a row can you get uh, uh, um, in a row, smashing it one hop, and then every once in a while after two or three good one hops, you jump up and hit the, the, the smash winner. Yeah, if you can get that one going where you can get like – 10 in a row, one hop on the wall, you're, you're going to be fine in the, in the actual live ball situation. All right, one more question from Adam M. And I think this one's, you know, you know, something that I think I struggle with. Players of all levels struggle with. So really good question on his part. What do you tell players to help them stop making compounding errors? When I miss two to three easy shots in a row, all of a sudden I start making error after error which leads to me thinking about making errors, which leads to more errors. And then we also got a question from Igor from Germany, which was similar and for him specifically talking about double faults, how sometimes one double fault will lead to two or three, and it's sort of all these errors come in clusters. And what do you, what do you tell players to stop this from happening? Okay, good question, Adam. First of all, crucially, I call short-term memory loss. When, when you make a mistake... The most important point is the next point. Compounding it, a lot of times when we make an easy mistake, let's, maybe the, the most typical one is you've set up the point really well and you make the easy unforced error. But for some reason, you let that stick with you for a point or two. Maybe you chase and you just try to go for a, a, a shot that's not there to, to get the point back. And so that's compounding it. And I think a lot of times, if you've played a really good point, you miss an easy shot. The one thing is to be pleased with is I set the point up, okay? I miss the opportunity ball. But maybe like, see, because I'm crazy a little bit, that if anything, my style would be then to pull back. You know, so if all of a sudden, maybe then... Adam, you play with a little more margin of error. You play a little more down the middle. You know, play a couple of safe points in a row to to all of a sudden kind of like, okay, so I can get out of the middle lane so I can change a lane. So what happens is, is when you make a couple of error, error, error right after a good point that you set up and you blew, now you've given away four or five and you're really rattled and, you're th- and you can't get that out of your head. So that's why I say downshift sometimes and play, you know, a couple of conservative points. See if you can get a cheap point back by your opponent making an unforced error before you do. You know, play some height, play some down the middle. But at but take the positive that I set the point up well. I just was unlucky that I didn't finish it. And then as far as double faults go, because that's a little bit different than, you know, you set up the point. That's like the point hasn't even started yet. Is that just even even more, you know, mentally telling yourself to reset? You know, do you play it safer on the second serve? What do you do there? Okay, this is a couple of great drills that I'd, I'd done from way back. I mean, almost 50 years ago. We used to play a game when I was like 10 years old, one serve. Play, you know, play a seven pointer, you know, you only get one serve. So, you, you, you know, there's no, there is no first or second, just one serve. So... If you practice, you practice with one serve. Igor, can we work on just getting one serve? So I I tell a lot of players this, especially club players and juniors. 
okay, how are we going to take our second serve out of play is by can, can we develop a three quarters or two thirds first serve that we can make eight out of 10? You know, we just, you know, maybe our, our first serve is our weapon, but our second serve is our Achilles. And if, if we're double faulting two and three times a game, we're not going to hold serve. So more importantly, it's about getting a rhythm. Can we make four or five? And then maybe if I have scoreboard, I can be a little more aggressive with my first and my second. But I, I think more than anything, get your rhythm. It's like making a couple of layups before you make a three. I think really importantly, if you can, practice psychologically. I'm only getting one serve today. So I'm not hitting second serve. So maybe I can make nine of 10 first, you know, and keep it in play. And then your whole goal is to develop a serve. Killer Cahill likes to call a working serve. Something that you can put in the box, three quarters pace in a big target, big body serve. You're not trying to go out wide. You're not trying to go out heavy to the back end. Something that's safe, that I'm not going to win the point. I'm not going to lose the point. That's the goal, Igor. I I really like that thought of just practicing with one serve because that puts the pressure on, you know, makes it feel a little bit more, you know, of like a real simulation in practice. But yeah, just you got to find that consistent go-to serve that works for you. And I think for some players, that could be the kick. For some players, it could be more of a slice. Even for some, maybe a little bit flatter. But you just, you have to experiment and tinker and find out what your working serve is. But whatever... Whatever that is, once you come to it, that's the one, you know, that you feel most comfortable with. And that's the one you just have to be able to, like you said, make eight, nine out of ten times. When I was, you know, 12, 14, if you're playing games or you're even gambling a little bit, you're doing some things. When you're playing with one serve, I tell you, it, it it's, a, it's a different rush. Because now all of a sudden, how I'm going to play my first serve that I don't have a second serve it's a great way to practice and to really like it. If you're playing games or you're playing with your weekly partner, you, you know, you experiment. It's, it's great for doubles drills that, you know what? I, I have a serve that I can put in play. And if all of a sudden, Igor, you feel like I got some safety, I can put my serve in play. Now all of a sudden it frees you up to maybe, you know what? I can take a little more risk on my first serve because now I have this one serve I can try. Or, you know what? If I hit two of these serves, I'm going to make one of them. So that's like the math. It's like, okay, if I can make this serve 75% of the time, so if I hit the same serve twice, 75%, 75%, there's there's probably a good chance I make one of the two. That's how you look at it. Use the math in your favor, but practice finding one serve that you can put in the box. And just before we wrap up, any closing thoughts on, you know, these cooler, tricky conditions at the French Open and what players at home can learn from and keep an eye on for when they're also playing, you know, in these colder fall conditions? Be prepared. Like, absolute perfect conditions for club players and juniors at home. Have a lot of shucks in your bag. Make sure... You got a looser racket, you know, in case you go all of a sudden you're playing indoors and it's faster. You got a tighter racket, you know, make sure you're prepared. And I think that's the same that we're going to see at the French, the starting and stopping. 
you have to be mentally and physically prepared that all of a sudden that when you're coming out on the court, you tell yourself, I've got a better attitude than my opponent. The more the four most valuable words in tennis, you know what they are? Game, set, match, Gilbert. So it's game, set, match, whoever is it. And so I that's it. Game, set, match, insert your name. Not, yeah, not Gilbert for everyone. So exactly. Game, <laughs> set, match, insert your name. That's what you're looking for. That's what you got to figure out. And then you have to tell yourself, love the conditions, make the adjustments. Things are going my way. If you start going out on the court thinking, I hate these conditions. They're not good for my game. You're whinging and you're whinging when you're going off. Use everything that you have. Make them work for you. You will get the W. I will get the W at 2 a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> you're too much, but that's 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 all good. All good. And as Rafa said, just accept the challenge. Mm-hmm.